the government announced a number of changes in the federal housing budget for 2022 going into 2023. Man, there's a lot to unpack here. Just so much information. It's almost, it is overwhelming. Dean and Derek and I took the time today to walk through a breakdown of the key initiatives that impact housing or could impact you, whether you're a first time buyer, if you're a home investor, if you're a speculative buyer, there's some vague information about some of these initiatives. So there's going to be some more details that are going to come out over the course of the next couple of years uh, or months, I should say, hopefully weeks at this point right now, but we did the best with what we could. And so this is gonna be our opinions and feedback on this information. Let us know what you think about these new initiatives. Oh, and by the way, if you're loving the show, you're loving the podcast and you wanna let us know, the best way to do that is to leave us a review on iTunes, it takes two seconds, um, or Spotify and share us out there. It would mean the world. Enjoy the episode, we'll see you on the other side. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. All right, so we're trying to figure out what is a TF. FHSA today. And the reason that we're trying to figure that out is because we're talking all about the government's announcement about their federal budget for 2022 as it relates to housing, 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 housing. So another shot at trying to make housing more affordable for Canadians uh, is what the federal government has announced in the last week here. And we're going to talk all about it today. We're going to approach it from a perspective of what we know. We have uh, done some research, we've looked into it, but we're going to try to not take too many outside noise, outside voices. We're just going to tell you what we think could happen and might happen and just general feedback, like thumbs up, thumbs down and all these changes. Now, there was a lot of changes in this um, federal budget. And so for that reason, we're going to keep it pretty focused to a key theme of just just the housing ones that impact the affordability that we think really are going to um, mean something to you. What's most interesting, the one point we, we talked about before we got into this podcast here was that this is not focusing on the primary and fundamental issue in housing. And that issue is uh, actually supply. Um, and so because of that, we think that for the most part, this one missed the mark, but we'll talk about it anyways, and you never know, we could be wrong. So let's get into it. So, so with the tax-free home savings account here, I guess the biggest question is, is this in addition to your RSP contribution? Um, because that now, that seems to me that would make a difference because now you're adding $40,000 plus 35,000 in the RSP contribution. And if there's two people on that, file is that 35 plus 35 which it is now and then is that 40 plus 40 because now we're talking some pretty bigger big numbers hmm. uh, so i mean that's just more of a question <laughs> maybe <laughs> one of you guys can answer that question i don't know but well i think the goal of this account is it it works like a tax-free savings account where you can save and invest uh and essentially the interest that you earn is tax-free and you eventually will draw this money out for your purchase if you're a first-time buyer Right, like you still have to come up with the money. This is just a way to shelve that money and make some interest tax-free, uh, with a goal of that helping towards your first purchase. 
Yeah, I mean, let's let's get into explaining what the heck we're even talking about here. First and foremost, um, so the tax-free home savings account, otherwise known as the TFFHSA, because it's first home savings account, so kind of screwed that one up already, is one of the measures that the federal government has put out to Canadian borrowers to see if they can help them get into the market for their very first homes. Now, um, as Dean mentioned, there's a lot of question marks here, but generally speaking, the idea of this is to be something similar to a tax-free savings account where you can essentially use those funds to invest like an RSP and those funds will, or the money that you receive will be obviously tax deductible. And ultimately you take that money out for the purposes of buying your first home. So that's one of the many measures, of course, as Dean mentioned, if it ends up being $40,000 that you can contribute on top of your $35,000 RRSPs, I think this is a, uh, generally speaking, good thing. Uh, but if that's not the case, um, then perhaps that uh, may not be as strong as we're hoping. I also read that there were some limitations that you could only actually contribute $8,000 per year to the tax-free home savings account. But again, still yet to find out those details. Yeah. So with that, then I mean, that tells me it is very much like the RSP account because that's tax deductible income that you're putting into that account and, and then you're not being taxed on it when you pull it out. So it's more than just interest that you're not being taxed on. That's actual income. So for me, like this one, definitely hits a mark if that's the case if that's I, the case yeah. i hate the ifs and buts but <laughs> that is ultimately what this kind of is at this point is it, it is a i mean there's definitely questions that have to be answered and addressed yep. and the government will do that in, in time <laughs> <laughs> hopefully hopefully i think my qu biggest question mark continues to be uh the eight thousand dollars uh per year indicated on the government website which is the annual maximum in, with an rsp as you know you can contribute the full amount right at any time it yeah. just has to vest sit in the account for 90 days and then take that money out plus you can use that right away for the tax benefits or tax breaks but eight thousand that could be kind of annoying and and will that roll over that's another question like if you don't utilize your eight thousand allotment this year can you use 16,000 next year? Mm. These are further questions that, you know, have to be defined. As they do, as they do. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the other ones that uh, are showing up here under the budget. Again, um, a lot of interesting themes that we we uh, we picked up through this. You know, they're throwing a lot of money at a lot of things, and it sounds really sexy, but it's very fluffy uh, at the end of the day. For example, suggesting that they're going to throw, you know, $4 billion at, at uh, helping uh, building and construction, knowing that the reality is, is that's not going to help the fact that if you go to, you know, the city of Surrey, it could take four months or three months or six months to get any kind of construction construction permits in place. And that's just one example. Vancouver is probably the worst of uh, many of them at this point right now. So I'd be curious to know, besides throwing money, how are they actually solving that particular problem? In any case, the other, that, that leads us into the next point, which is the new housing accelerator fund, which Derek, you made a really good comment about the highlight of this program. Why don't you take this one away? Yeah, I mean, they're talking about spending $4 billion over the next five years, starting this year. Uh, with a goal of creating 100,000 new homes over the five-year period, which sounds very expensive, and 100,000 homes seems like a lot. But when you look at the rate of immigration alone, I mean, we're far exceeding this. So, I mean, I think that the mindset behind this is correct, but I don't think the numbers are actually going to come to fruition and actually achieve the goal that they're trying to achieve here i mean as a whole in general the budget they're suggesting spending 10 billion dollars towards housing 
and helping supply and, and, and slowing the market, right? Um, just tons of money being spent here. And I really hope that some of these, uh, some of these ideas work. There's a lot of questions here because where is the $4 billion of funding going? If it's going to the actual municipalities to hire more staff and, and actually eliminate the, the red tape, I guess you could say, to getting a development permit, getting a building permit, those are then, okay, now we're talking, now we maybe can speed up the municipality timelines. Like the, the, the problem is, is like the red tape is created by the municipality and those governments, and that's not the federal government. So there's only so much like that the federal government can actually do in this situation. So if they're saying like, hey, we're gonna give money to the city of Vancouver or the, you know, the, the township of Langley or wherever, wherever we are, I don't know, maybe that could help. Cause that's the problem is there, you walk into, I mean, I've just dealt with this person. You walk into the township of Langley, there's like four planners, mm. <laughs> you know, fielding piles and piles and piles of applications. Like they can only work so fast. Mm -hmm. So if we're, you know, that's, there's just a lot of questions here. There's a lot of unanswered questions here. So it's, it'd be interesting to know how so that some actually of, gets chalked up. Yeah. I mean, some of their notes here is that they're going to be providing an annual per door incentive which means that they're probably going to be funding the municipalities based on how many doors they actually approve for construction, mm -hmm. which I mean, they can only go so fast, right? Like but that, that doesn't incentivize the, them to yeah, move quicker and hire, hire to more do that. people. Mm -hmm. um, upfront funding for investments in municipal housing planning and delivery process that will speed up housing development. So it sounds like they have the right goals. You'd like to think so. The goals are hopefully there from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, the number is a little bit light, uh, $100,000 of net new housing units. And based on this government's track record, that probably will end up being $20,000, um, seeing as they've not committed or, or fallen through on any of their other previous commitments as far as housing is concerned. I think, I think the reality is there needs to be some kind of commitment or some more clarity around specifically how they're asking the municipalities to commit to these goals, to show a commitment to these timelines and so forth. Uh, definitely the right idea as far as the direction. Um, I just think they're going to be way off in terms of the marks and the numbers, and I'd like to see exactly how they're going to do it. Are you, uh, for this one, personally, I give this as a me like a medium grade, you know, like a two and a half out of five. Good idea. Maybe a three. It could be a three and a half, but that's about as far as that goes because I think the numbers are, are way under where they should be. Um, anything else on you guys? How do you feel about that one? Good? Not good? There's just a lot of <laughs> unknowns. Yeah. Agreed. I think with the, and that's going to be the theme through a lot of this is it, <laughs> it's more hey here's what they're proposing and like let's assess it later is yeah. kind of my thought on all of this. Yeah, I, I think this is a huge flop. If I had to predict looking down the road, I mean I don't want to be too negative obviously about all this, but. Uh, I think this one's a huge flop purely from a standpoint of just uh, even reading the government's website here on how they're going to generally even approach this. There's nothing. It's pure fluff. Um, we've seen them take these approaches in the past. Like you mentioned, it's the municipalities that are making the decisions. So how are you actually convincing them to move forward a little bit more? I'd mm -hmm. like to see that. I'd love to be wrong in that one for sure. Um, let's move forward into new affordable housing. Which is a really interesting one because, like, what is affordable housing? And typically, um, I mean, they use that word a lot. They use that word affordable housing so much, and I still don't understand effectively what that actually means. It's here to ensure that affordable housing can be built quickly. The budget proposes that $1.5 billion, again, billions of dollars, over two years here would create the rapid housing initiative. Funding is expected to create at least 6,000 new affordable units with at least 25% funding going towards women-focused housing projects. Um, 
Interesting. I mean, conceptually speaking, of course, probably trying to provide housing for people who don't obviously have the funds or the money to afford housing on their own or maybe at risk. Yeah, I, I read into this as it's just trying to assist the rentals community more than anything, like as a tenant uh, living in the, you know, the major cities, we've seen rent go up at the same or more or a higher rate than the price of housing. Mm-hmm. Again, certain communities, cities that, that, that would be, you know, attached to. So I kind of read into that. This is hopefully building more affordable rental housing. That's kind of whenever we see, you know, affordable housing measures come into play or buildings that they're kind of focusing on. That's usually what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, 25% of that funding going towards women focused housing projects that kind of just kind of plays into that theme again, obviously the, I mean, I don't know how too much more to comment on that. It's kind of, <laughs> yeah, no, it is kind of is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm reading again to the government website over the last five years, national housing co-investment fund has supported the construction repair of 108,000 units for, uh, vulnerable Canadians. I mean, I'm personally not heavily, I, I don't know whether this is, they have or have not done this. And so, uh, generally speaking, again, I think this is a fair initiative and a good initiative to support those who maybe are in a position to 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 find a good and a safe home to be. So uh, again, another one that I'd like to see it as being uh, correct or right or or have a positive impact. And at this point right now, let's just see it happen. Not really an impact to the home buyers that are listening to our podcast, but maybe something that's relevant to you if that is close to your heart. Um, Derek, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the extended and quote unquote, more flexible first time home buyer incentive. Any of our, uh, partners listening to this podcast, any of our clients listening to this podcast are probably wondering about this first time home buyers incentive. And actually, to be honest with you, we were talking about this beforehand. Most people don't even remember what the heck this is. So, um, <laughs> this is actually, no, this is a different one. Sorry. I was thinking about a different one. I was thinking about the, uh, the tax credit. All right, well, let's get back on track here. This is the one that nobody knows about. <laughs> so this is the extended, more flexible first time home buyers incentive. Hey, if you guys listening to this, don't know this, I think it was two years ago or 2019, uh, the government announced a CMHC down payment matching program where they would take a portion of the equity in your home and reduce your mortgage in exchange for giving up 5% equity in your home or up to 10% equity in your ho- program. This is my favorite thing about this program is it just says it's new and improved. It's more flexible, but it doesn't specify how it's more flexible. It just acknowledges that the fact that this program has been a complete and utter failure and no one anywhere near Vancouver or Toronto or any major city and even Vancouver has used this. It's yeah, almost like the government knew the market was going to explode. Right. Uh, right. Because they, there's no interest or no payments on the loan that they issue, but you do pay them back based on appreciation over time. Um, I mean, just to speak to this a little bit, we've had thousands of clients look into these programs. I've personally never funded one of these mortgages, not to say there's not value there, but when you look at the numbers and you have your down payment on your own, all they're really doing is decreasing your mortgage slightly to bring your payment down to make it more affordable. But when you look at mortgage regulation in Canada, I mean, you're qualifying at 5.25% over 25 years, right? Like the mortgage is technically affordable in most, if not all situations already. Um, And most people just simply didn't want to include the government in their home if they didn't need to. So we haven't found much success with this. I don't know what they're improving. Um, Where I would see some value is if they would give that money to allow the purchase price to increase. Agreed. Because that could help someone maybe get from a one bed to a two bed, that kind of thing, right? 
Yeah, I mean, just, I'm going to disagree with Alex. You said, you said they're acknowledging that this has been an utter failure. I don't think they are. <laughs> okay, okay, they're, okay, okay. They're extending <laughs> it. They're, this is an extension. So clearly they think it's successful. Uh, and I mean, to put this into perspective, I never did one of these either, but I have come across a client that did do one and then contacted us after when they're buying their next home. And they paid $15,000 to the government when they sold their home. And in that scenario, I just, this just came across my desk recently. They took, they borrowed essentially 5% of a $700,000 purchase price in 2020, early 2020, sold that home for a million dollars and paid the government back 50,000. So that $35,000 essentially cost them $15,000 to borrow for less than 18 months. Okay. So, and I appreciate where you're going with that. I think the approach that, that uh, my mind goes to is that they're realizing it was a damn failure and that they need to do something about it, but they haven't actually specified what they're going to do about it. <laughs> yeah, because I just read the first word, extension, and I'm like, all right, well, What are we extending? Cool. <laughs> so specifically what they said is to help more Canadians purchase their first home budget, they have announced an extension. You're right. And the government is exploring options to make the program more flexible and responsive to the needs of first-time home buyers. Listen, Derek's absolutely correct. This needs to be more like the BC government uh, program that was back in 2016. And even though that one wasn't the best-case scenario, they at least allowed us to increase... The purchase price because of the loan which i used uh, and helped a lot of buyers get into homes back then and they had a flat amount they could pay back as opposed to having to pay back equity mm -hmm. it's kind of sad to think that the canadian government's going to give you equity and they're not going to allow you to increase your purchase price in fact they're just going to reduce your payment which is such a small amount right at the end of the yep. day so um agreed on all fronts i think this new program obviously just like everything else yet to be determined as to how good this is going to be but so far yeah i mean we're into like in that scenario i just explained which i which would be most people's scenario based mm -hmm. on the i mean depending on the municipality you bought in but if you're buying in vancouver bc or toronto yeah. you would have experienced a double digit interest rate yeah like over 15 percent yeah interest to borrow thirty five thousand dollars in that scenario that did nothing for you yeah it makes no sense, right? So again, I like I have <laughs> I'm not into this program at all. No, agreed, agreed, agreed. Let's see what they do uh, going forward. Let's hope they uh, take some feedback. And I don't have any, you know, obviously reason to believe that they will. But let's let's assume that someone comes to their senses and actually uh, reaches out to constituents in the field, like us, or otherwise that can give general feedback on exactly what they're they're seeing or or more genuine feedback. Maybe. Let's talk about this foreign investment and uh, banning the foreign investments. Um, this is the one that's been creating all the headlines. The newspapers, I mean, not newspapers, but you know, whatever, on, online, Google, you name it, everywhere I've seen social media about foreign buyers being banned. Yeah. Well, one of our, I'd say one of the top agents that we work with in, in our community has been an agent for over 20 years and not once worked with a foreign buyer. So, I mean, to me, that's like, okay, that's just one agent, but this is a this is a top one percent realtor in our community that's never worked with a foreign buyer in twenty years. So does that? I mean, again, that's one person's professional opinion, but or sorry, data. But is that tell you that to me? That's like okay. Well, are foreign buyers the problem? Uh, no, if you're asking me, no, I don't think foreign buyers are, are the problem per se. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and suggest that that's, that's good to hear that feedback. I, I don't know who this individual is per se, but uh, it's probable they're not working with this type of crowd. I think a lot of the foreign buyers tend to go through like a 
a funnel, so to speak, or someone locally. But with that being said, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, even myself, I, I maybe, I think I did financing for one person that ever was considered a quote unquote foreign buyer. And that was like 2017 or 2018. But everybody else is either a PR or, or like, mm -hmm. let's say US coming to Canada sort of situation. And there's, or, or they're applying for their citizenship or they're in the progress process. So, uh, you know, I think the, in my opinion, I think what they did with in British Columbia with the tax, the property transfer tax, actually, I think that was a personally a better decision because at least it could generate money, although we have no clue where that money goes. So that's another issue. But I think that was better from a perspective of if they're going to buy it, at least they're going to pay tax on it. And we could use that money if it was used properly to build or put back into the housing infrastructure. Again, I don't think this will have a meaningful impact, at least not in most cities and most areas. And I, I know I just question whether or not this is going to really do anything. I would love to see some stats to see how many foreign buyers actually have purchased in Canada over the last two years. I mean, to me, it does seem, and maybe this is just our network and, and where we live geographically, but I mean, yeah, we don't see many foreign buyers at all. And when we do, it's typically, you know, someone across the border in the U.S. Not to say they're not purchasing, but um, yeah. Being on the finance side, like as... I think it's far less that we would even see that type of buyer anyways, yep. because a yep. lot of those foreign buyers don't require financing. A lot yep. of them are coming in with cash and these are, they're coming into the, you know, the, the speculation is they're coming into this market to park cash. So they're probably not going to be getting financing, yep. but from a, a top realtor professional, again, that's just one opinion or, or like one person's data. But again, like this is, this is clearly something that's not a big pressing issue from a lot of people that we talked to over the years. Again, I mean, to Derek's point, I'd like to see some data. Well, in addition to that, let's think about this. For the last two years, we've been in a quote unquote, I don't care if you believe it or not, but the government calls it a pandemic. And how many people have been traveling to Canada during that time? A lot less than normal, a lot less. And um, I don't know what the statistics are around that, but we all know that it's a substantial reduction in the amount of normal travel to the country. Um, and so for that reason alone, we've seen less people looking to buy. In fact, it's only been the last four months or three months that we're seeing a lot of people coming from, you know, the United States or, or things of that nature to make the move over. And so if that's the case, then there was a one and a half year period or even a one year period where there was almost minimal to none in the terms of uh, people looking to, to buy over here. Uh, the one place that this could make a difference is quote unquote speculation from a perspective of you know buying new pre-sale properties and then trying to assign or, or, or flip and so forth. I think that could have a slight impact in that field, but even then it's marginal in, in some communities at best. I think like you're you're trying to attack a certain demographic that you think is an obviously an issue to our the price, the house pricing, right? The affordability of our, our housing. These individuals that are coming here investing, you know, large amounts of capital and finding ways to park their money will just find another way, in yeah. my opinion, like a family member that, hey, you know, my, we saw it all the time where, you know, people are sending their kids here to go to college or what have you. I mean, they'll find a way to invest through some other individual here. Um, Agreed. I like the idea with the tax because at least you still encourage those people to come and buy here and then yeah. our government can benefit from it. Now you're just saying, hey, stay away. Yeah. It doesn't really make much sense to me in that regard. And then, I mean, this is just like a bit of a conspiracy theory, but like if our government is now telling foreigners they can't buy here, are we going to eventually have that same sort of treatment from other countries? Like, hey, Canadians, you can't buy here. Yes, I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, is that, is that not it. fair to think, right? Like, the, like yeah. the, I mean, you're telling Americans right now, you're telling Americans you can't buy in our country for two years. So can Americans could just be like, hey, you can't buy in Palm Springs or, you know, 
all the you know the, the fancy areas that we like I to think buy they didn't it think twice before they did that again but, but I, because they're probably smarter than our government we'd like to think so <laughs> hey look, let, it, let, my favorite headline here is that for years foreign money has been coming into the canadian real estate this has fueled concerns about the impact on cities like vancouver toronto and worries about canadian prices being out of the housing market that sounds like a headline to a news article that you would read on like a I don't know, province website or some kind of, like, that's insane. That's on the government website. It says that. Like, fueling concern is one thing. Show the statistics and the data to prove that this has a material impact. Again, we don't have an issue per se with the idea of focusing on people who live in Canada to buy in Canada. Like, I think that's absolutely correct. But do something else. And uh, maybe perhaps, like we said, I think the taxing idea made a heck of a lot more sense because all the casual maybe investors as soon as they found out they're paying a 15 percent or 20 percent tax on their their purchase a lot of them said no after that and the ones that did well they're making a lot of money for the government just do the right thing and give it back uh to the housing sector if that's the case right yeah and it's tough because there's it's hard to make like any sort of an exception basis where you know maybe there's a you know some sort of management over or oversight over some exceptions because there are you know in that situation there was people that were paying foreign buyers tax that really did not deserve to have to pay that, that but too yeah anyways um or or like in, in that example we had people that had contracts in place prior yep and then had to pay the tax and the contract was written prior to the rule being announced yeah. you gotta love like that. so what a, a similar situation like you wrote a contract and now the government's saying, hey, you can't fulfill that contract. I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine that would happen. Oh, yeah. But that's what happened before, right? So happen. it'd be interesting to see how this rolls out. Well, let's move down to property flippers. Uh, I'd say we saw this one coming a long time ago. But um, Derek, any thoughts on the property flipping rules? I mean, to be honest, it kind of, it doesn't seem like a massive change if you don't own your home for a year and there's profit and they can prove that you're selling for profit, they're gonna tax you like it's business income. I mean, there's exceptions to this currently ongoing. I mean, if, if you sell right now and, and you're selling because of a life change, there's a couple of notes here, like the birth of a child or a new job or a divorce, um, you won't typically have to pay that, that income tax on that money. So I think it is what it is. I think most people for a while, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the people I've been working with knew that going into this. I don't think this is a new thing. Maybe they're just going to stir up on it a little bit. Well, yeah, because they actually define like some really like clear circumstances. I found it was a little vague before, but just my personal opinion. Uh, now it's, I mean, if this is kind of it, like if you don't fall within these, you know, parameters of a death, disability, birth of a child, new job or divorce, like, is it just, yeah, you're paying it, it was right? very gray before. And it, yeah, I mean, and. Yeah, so I don't well, know, I'll leave it at know, that. It also notes again on the government website, exemptions will be set in forthcoming rules and Canadians will be consulted on the draft of legislative proposals. Because like I'm thinking about this, like <clears throat> we have some clients who do flipping and that's how they make money and so forth. Um, but I would say the vast majority of the average Canadian, even from an investment space, when they look to sell their property, they're not looking to flip very often. It's usually like, hey, I bought this house. I, you know, I, I hate the area I live in. Um, like you mentioned the job, um, sometimes they're having more kids. Holy crap. I just made a lot of money and I just want to get, you know, go to <laughs> Alberta, which is what a lot of people are saying right now. Um, including, uh, Paul's neighbors, apparently looking to do the same sort of thing. Right. So I guess the question mark around that is, you know, how tight are the rules surrounding that? It, this is not a massive change. I think what they're doing is just kind of signaling that if you're planning to do this, just be aware you are going to get taxed. The question mark is how are you going to get taxed and what does that look like? um going forward yeah my question because they're going to tax it as business income 
you should be able to write off like your real estate fees and Expenses mortgage penalties and legal thing. fees, right? So, I mean, if, if this is a circumstance that's happening to somebody, they should be making sure that their accountant is looking into what you can write off to bring that income down. Totally agree with that. Absolutely. Um, let's keep going down these, uh, you know, rent to own projects, not something I want to spend a lot of time on unless you guys do. They're looking to spend, provide $200 million in dedicated support under the existing affordable housing initiative, uh, including hundred million to support nonprofits, co-ops, developers, and rent to own companies with new rent to own units. Now I, we talked about who's going to get those projects. What does that look like if they're doing rent to own? That's probably a, a bigger question mark as far as where does that go? I mean, it says non, not for profits, but everything here is for profit. So the question mark is who's getting those contracts? What does it actually look like? And how are they deciding who's getting this quote unquote rent to own? Because you still have to get a mortgage in the end. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, I hope they're consulting some banks because currently banks don't like doing rent owns for the for the end user, mm -hmm. like the person moving into the property. Those yeah, are very <laughs> difficult to finance. Like we currently don't have really much of a positive solution there for somebody that comes to us and saying, hey, I want to buy a rent to own. Is usually because they're not documented properly. You have to have right. proper contracts and have registration on title and all the bank accounts need to right. be set up accordingly for a rent to own. And typically your average landlord that's doing this with a tenant is not doing it properly. Correct. Right. And then when it comes time for these people to purchase a home, the banks won't do it because they don't have the paper trail and your options are private financing or walking away. Mm -hmm. And for anyone that doesn't know what a rent to own is, you're typically overpaying renting essentially and the extra money is being banked uh, towards your down payment. It's, so, I mean, it's if you can figure it out and you don't have another option, sure, awesome. I think you should go for it, right? But mm -hmm. I would imagine to this extent, the developers and if the government's involved, there would be some sort of tracking that is going to be done properly you would think and hope yeah you would certainly hope and I, and I would just I would I would also assume that a that a, a developer or a company that's that's experienced in this or or gets experience in this by government consultation will actually work with a specific lender or broker that you know actually can assist here because it's very important that it's documented per properly to Derek's point yeah. So with that being said, I mean, looking at the next couple, we've got a couple more juicy ones before we end the show here. Um, looking at uh, one that wasn't actually listed on there that we got to bring up really quickly is taxing assignment sales. There's a lot of people that reach out. They want to buy a pre-sale property, new development property, and they've heard about someone who is assigned a property and made 50, 100, 200, 300. In fact, I've seen people make $500,000 in buying a pre-sale property and not actually closing on it. They assigned it over to someone else. Um, so essentially, they're looking to do another another tax, and they're going to call it a sign and sale, and you're going to get taxed if you buy and sell a pre-sale property as well. So um, again, uh, it says this creates an opportunity previously without having to pay the tax for speculators to be quote-unquote dishonest about their intentions. So I wonder what kind of impact this is going to have on people who have a already bought a presale, because we always tell people you buy a presale, always have the intention to sell it. Uh, however, again, from a business perspective, I have the intention to buy it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> yes, we don't say to sell it. That's somebody else. That's your real estate agent, but um, not the good ones. Has it, this not been taxable income before? I don't understand. Uh, How would no, that not be taxable? No, it's not like and they don't, a, they don't pay is the that GST. not a capital gain? They don't pay the GST on it. It's currently right now. It's I like guess it's gray area, right? It's a life change. Probably it's about time. I think it's a. I think it makes sense. I just would, again, like back to, 
I guess back to the flippers, it, 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 to me, it's like there's got to be some correlation so there the, because like here's, here's life events area. and whatnot. To be specific, currently when a pro person makes a new assignment sale, goods and services tax GST may or may not apply depending on the reason for purchasing a home. GST does not apply if the buyer initially intended to live in the home. Anybody could say they were going to live in the home, right? This creates an opportunity for speculators to be dishonest about their original intentions and then get away from that. So basically, they're just saying flat out, like everybody pays tax on it going forward, right? So, um, yeah, that's probably, I don't want to say a good thing, but just it's more black and white now than it used to be. Less gray areas, which is where we're at. Yeah, I mean, we've seen people benefit greatly from this area. So, yeah, just uh, it's probably about, tax. It's probably about time and say what you want about it. Um, well, let's talk a little about this, uh, bill of rights. I mean, we already have heard a lot about, uh, uh, ending blind bidding, uh, in real estate. And I mean, we've talked about this at length last time when VC government had indicated that they were going to come in with a cooling off period, which is already on its way. But now the federal government is getting involved and they're saying that if the new bill of rights, they're calling it as a home buyer, you could, this could include ensuring a legal right to home inspection and ensuring transparency on the history of sales and title searches. That's super interesting. I mean, listen, I, I don't like, I know that as a real estate agent, you can access previous sales and if you sign up for accounts you can access this but this is actually quite interesting to me just purely based on the knowledge of the sales and values in the area which is not easily accessible information for most people unless you do a lot of hunting that's the one thing in this that actually stands out not the blind bidding thing because we've talked about that and that's obviously going to have an impact on how people buy and sell and walking away from properties but the transparency on the history of sales and on title searches in the u.s there's a lot of softwares and programs and 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 all sorts of marketing that you can people can do to you because they have access, full access to what your property just sold for uh, or all the sales in the area as we've discussed previously, but all your title searches, they can actually look up to say, you have a mortgage on your house with X bank, you come over here to this bank. I actually really wonder if this is going to do the opposite, which is going to give up full control to everyone of your information. Like everyone's going to be able to now see which bank, bank you're with, who's on title of your property, what your property sold for, which... Um, yeah, that's very interesting because that's almost the opposite of what this is suggesting. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I see pros and cons to, to both sides, but yeah, the privacy thing is a big one. Mm -hmm. That's concerning for sure. I didn't even think of that. Um, yes, yeah. Don't think it, on that. The yeah. blind bidding, I'm actually all for. I think this is absolutely absurd that one person can offer a million bucks and the other person doesn't know when they come in at 1.2 like it just doesn't make any sense financially and this is part of the reason that our market's gotten out of hand right well, i mean we've seen this like quite regularly like there's two two offers only multiple offers so that's all the other that's the two buyers just hear multiple offers and there's only two yeah. right and then one person writes full ass the other person writes one hundred fifty thousand dollars over I mean, it's great for the seller well, in that situation. But there's a real estate company. I can't remember the name of it, but they do they do uh, a bid, like an actual bidding process. Uh, they, they, we don't want to put names out there, but there is one out there that actually has a bidding process, and they put it up to like auction. That was a Harcourt's. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so it's interesting because, like in that case scenario, I guess you would actually know what each property is going to go for, what each offer is going to go for before you bid. So it's kind of a more transparent process. This, these types of things, like they're too vague. They're frustrating because it's like what, you know, you, uh, there needs to be some kind of commitment from the buyer as well. 
that they're going to move forward and the seller. My biggest concern is like you get, uh, you know, you could get two fake offers coming in or one fake one and one real one, which could happen in both markets. So again, more transparency around this is probably super important. But again, going back to my initial points, curious to know what that looks like from a transparent sales and uh, title searches. So let's uh, let's jump into the tax credit. Um, we got initially pretty excited. Derek, you got excited. I got excited about this one for a quick second here. Even Dean, you were saying, oh, that sounds kind of neat. Uh, $7,500 in support for constructing a secondary suite. And yeah. We read the fine print. For a senior, which I looked it up, is 65 plus, or an adult with a disability starting in 2023. So if you want to team up with your parents and your parents are not disabled or 65, you do not benefit from this. No, and and, and to me, that that seems silly. If you're going to come out with a multi-generational home renovation tax, it should be, of, should be irrelevant to their age or disability. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would disagree with it just because they put that, that piece in there for a condition, but $7,500 does go a long way. Um, you know, say what you want about it. $7,500 is nothing to sneeze on title. Yeah. Yeah. Can we, can we backdate that? Yeah. How do they prove that? Because again, these, the parents, do the parents have to be untitled the property to get that? Cause like that, no, so that's a, a good point either. Right. Cause yeah. a lot of, a lot of question marks here. I mean, I mean, I hope I sure hope they don't have to be on title because that would just cause a whole another chain of restrictions and red tape here. But I mean, there's lots of ways to prove that your your senior citizen, uh, you know, or disabled sibling or what have you is is living with you based on their primary residence and their tax information and you know where they're registered as a as a citizen living in your your home, right? So yeah. I, I I sure hope and it and the fact that they don't define that I I, I can't imagine they're gonna enforce them to be on title yep um but my point was just like how do you prove when the work was done you know what i mean like if we're if if you did that this year i mean i'm not trying to be deceitful or, or go behind the you know the rules here but like it just it just there's a bit of vagueness here on like it's hard to prove when the actual renovation was completed yep right and what what's what what if it's our, I mean, anyways, I, I, there's just a bunch of what ifs here. It's, what, 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 it's, it's, so it's the, the actual rules are 15% of up to $50,000 in, in renovation construction costs incurred to construct a secondary suite. But yes. But, but it will cap at 7,500. Uh, yeah. yeah. So exactly. So lots of, lots of more questions about that is more than yeah, anything else. Okay. Well, it, I think that's a flop. I, I would say that, um, Right idea, wrong execution. Love to see who's on title or not on title. And, and we talked about that one in the past. We knew that's been proposed for a while, and they pretty yep. much, obviously, they they didn't listen to any consultation. So. <laughs> this is good, the whole thing. Okay, here's the one I was talking to about a while ago that we talked about with Derek: doubling the first time homebuyers tax credit. Something that uh, is illustrated on the homebuyers plan website. So for all your first time buyers, go check this out. Um, doubling the first time homebuyer tax credit. You get to claim this year after you purchase your first home uh, to ten thousand dollars, providing up to fifteen hundred dollars in direct support to homebuyers applying to homes purchased on or after January first, twenty twenty two. Which is actually kind of good because that means retro retroactively speaking, if you bought a home already this year um, you would actually qualify for this so basically if you're a first-time buyer uh, when you're filing your taxes for next year that would be 2023 put this in the calendar for next february or january if you're keen or anybody your taxes you can claim you can claim now a taxable credit to the amount of ten thousand dollars which provides you up to fifteen hundred dollars uh, of credits against your taxes which the less money you have to pay to the government is a good thing anything else on that one guys no, just don't forget it. First time buyers, realtors, reminders to your clients. Uh, again, if you bought your home in 2020, 
One, remember, you can still claim the tax credit. It's just that it's a max of $750 um, uh, on that. I want to touch on, there was a lot more in this announcement, and I don't want to spend too much time on that at this point right now. I, I just want to run through a few things that they missed and one of the, the highlights that they missed in relation to this. I think the first and foremost, um, it was interesting to note that we had heard a lot of uh, opportunities that they might increase the amortization period for uh, home buyers with less than 20% down. So using a CMHC mortgage to go to 30 years instead of 25, which makes a ton of logical sense with the value of homes. Obvious, obvious, obvious one. Not only do they make more money in CMHC insurance, but uh, there's a ton of reasons why they should in in increase the amortization period. Didn't happen. They also didn't raise the maximum, the $1 million uh, price point. We had heard uh, we're going to go to 1.25 or 1 1.5 in certain cities, uh, which is long overdue long overdue neither of those two things happen so those are two notable things that i I, I don't know if i missed this but um the fact that property i mean this is more of a provincial thing but i think it needs to be addressed is the property transfer tax threshold of five hundred thousand dollars yeah yeah we'll, we'll bug that on the the federal one or the, the provincial because that forward. definitely needs an adjustment there's not much you're buying around here for 500k Unfortunately, agreed with that. So yeah, the CMHC missed the 30 year amortization is something we would have liked to see the 1.25 increase as we would like to see. Uh, in addition to that, would have loved to have seen or actually one thing I did like to I was happy that they didn't do was something that we had heard a lot about, which is raising the down payment requirements of 35% for uh, someone buying an investment property. Still could happen, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. And that's that's really good because there were a lot of serious rumors about saying you could not use a HELOC or um, or 35% mm. down. But that would that actually goes against the comments that they made in in the home buyer plan earlier on about letting more one and two person uh, or single or secondary home uh, individuals continue to maintain those properties. So they obviously do see the value of homeowners having investment real estate properties um, from that perspective. Well, yeah, there's two major concerns here. House prices, it's tough to get in, but there's also a housing crisis when it comes to rentals, yep. right? Like you can't attack the landlord homeowner um, because again, on the flip side to that, they're producing rental properties for people to live in. Agreed. And by the time this one comes out, the Bank of Canada may have already made an increased interest rates. One thing we know to be true is that although we're dating ourselves at this point in time, this whole episode is a date, so whatever, it's uh, it's very likely, and we've already seen this, that, that house prices have already started to, I'm not going to use the word cool off, because they were at such a torrid pace, it was, it was like, it, it could never keep up at that pace, but they're coming to a reasonable busy level at this point right now and interest rates have already increased from fixed rates up to four or four plus percent at this point right now that the reality is house prices are naturally going to come down a little bit because of that so you know to think about things from a broad perspective it's going to look like the government made good decisions and made good changes if the housing market turns around and slows down a little bit and it slows down but the reality is is they cannot take credit for that if that was to happen naturally this was destined to occur based on what's happening in the market so once again the government is too late to the uh the story they're making poor decisions and they're spending a crap load of our money we're not going to make this a political podcast but think twice about who you vote for if you like what they decided to do here today it's my feedback. Yeah, I would agree. All right. Well, that's a wrap. 
<laughs> Guys, if you love the show, which I know you do, uh, give us that five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. Send this to two people that you think need, need to listen to this. I tell you two people because I am being greedy, and I think that there's more people out there that need to hear the value that we're trying to bring out to you. Again, we do this in the evenings. This is currently an evening and the weekends to try and make sure you guys are always up to date. If you want to find out more about this or anything else mortgage or real estate related, uh, just reach out to the crew here at uh, Thrive Mortgage, thrivemortgage.ca, Instagram, Thrive Mortgage Co. Be happy to help you out. See what we can do. Thanks for listening.